things from what we've seen in Afghanistan to you know the earthquake in Haiti to um, you know even this week just received emails about you know folks being put on ventilators uh, with COVID to um, you know a couple different cancer diagnoses in our community just a lot and we're about to sing a song called Refiner and it's one that we haven't saying here before, um, but I just keep thinking about this idea of the words of the song we're about to sing, which is, it's gonna sing, we're gonna come to the altar, and just, is this idea of like, we're coming into the presence of God. And when we come into the presence of God, here's what ends up happening, this is what the refiner idea is, is that what they would do is that the refined fire would come and with metals, they would, the, the impurities rise to the top, and then the refiner like wipes them away. So even like right now, what we're seeing with all this evil, um, all the sickness, all the death, all the illness, uh, there's just so many things that are rising to the top. But what we read throughout scripture is that like, through God's redemptive power, it wants to wipe these things away and it begins to refine us. And I even started thinking about even the simplicity of this. And I'm gonna preach on this in a few weeks, but even for us as, as Christians, like our posture in times like this is way more important than our opinions. And if we really want God to, his redemptive work to just wipe this stuff away, we have to be in a, in a posture to receive, to want to be refined. And so you pray with me. God, this morning we, we just pause here for a second. And we interrupt the, our normal flow because we are faced with some harsh realities. The divisiveness in our country is truly atrocious right now. And God, I, I pray right now that um, for those that call themselves a Christians will want no part of it. Will you refine us in the midst of this? Will you reveal to us the anger and the malice and, and the ways that maybe we, we participate in this division because we, we'd rather have our opinions stated rather than having a posture of humility, a posture that, that is like open to your presence. God, we pray over people in Haiti and what's going on in Afghanistan right now from folks that are living there to the troops that are trying to evacuate people to the help that's happening to the folks in Haiti, like all of this stuff that's going on, God, that um, in this will your refining redemptive power somehow sweep through. And that through the suffering and through the pain and through all this affliction that's happening, God, that, that somehow like you, you are revealed in, in this and experience. And God, for those that are going through such a, a dark time right now, whether that's, you know, a family member, a friend, you, yourself, and experiencing this season of overwhelming darkness or loneliness or isolation or a diagnosis or whatever it is, God, that through this, that your refining, redemptive power would purify our souls. And that we build our lives, build our entire focus on you and we experience you even in the pain and it doesn't necessarily take away but God that you would refine us in the midst of this. So God we just pray that your redemptive work and the power of your presence will not only sweep through this place today but will just transform our hearts and our minds so we see you more. In your name we pray. Hey Hill City, my name is Kelly and I'm part of the team here. We're so glad you're online with us this morning. 
We want you to know that Hill City is a safe place for you to get to know Jesus. So if you are curious and have doubts, questions, or fears, we would be honored to talk with you through them. We want to know who you are, check in with you, and see how you're doing. So you can fill out a connection card on our website to help get you connected with real people. Today we've got a few songs and then the next message in our sermon series. Thanks for being here.
morning, those of you who are joining us online, we are really glad that we can be together. I know as just things ebb and flow with COVID, there may be times where you're here and when you're not, and we just hope that you continue to be able to stay connected to community, whatever that looks like for you. So if you're new, um, if you're new here, if you're new to this expression of faith, this faith community, even when we sing a song like that, as we were singing together, I thought, you know, even if you don't really fully understand what this song is about, or like, you're like, why is this language so strong and, and so powerful, this imagery? I really believe that, that God has called us to be people who want to be something. We want to be about something bigger than ourselves. And the world tempts us to believe that if we can be at the top of the heap and like we can get all the stuff coming to us, then I'm gonna live this good life. And really what Jesus has called us to is to giving away our life. And that in giving away our life, those deeper desires are actually met. So when we sing a song like this, we're singing about giving ourselves away for something bigger than our own like tempting narrative to just be at the top of the heap. And I will tell you that sometimes being at that top place, being at that place where you yourself feel like you've got to understand, you've got to be the king of your world. I don't know if any of you guys have experienced this, but it's crushing right now because the world is a really confusing place. It's like, what do I believe and what do I do and where do I go? What's the right thing to do right now? And into all of that, God gives us his word. And as I was preparing for this week, I was kind of reading. I like to just immerse myself back into where we are in scripture. We're in the book of Mark right now, which is a book inside of this book. And in that book of Mark, as I'm reading through it, Jesus turns to his disciples and he says like, hey, all this is gonna fall away, but my words will not fall away. My words won't pass away. My words will remain. And that is true. Like when that was said more than 2000 years ago, it's still true today. We're still gathering in Jesus's name. We're still gathering around the words of Jesus after all of this time has passed. That kind of anchoring, that kind of steadiness is worth the work of the challenge of entering into God's word and entering in to try to understand it and interpret it for our times. And that's really what we're doing together. We're coming together to say, we wanna come into God's word and interpret it for our times. And that's what we're doing here to get today. My name's Nicole, if I haven't met you before, and I'm super, super excited to bring the message today. We are in a series called, Won't He Do It? So we're looking at the book of Mark. It's a gospel. The word gospel means good news. And these are the books that are at the beginning of the New Testament. So there's like half of it's Old Testament, half's New Testament. And the New Testament part is really about the life and teachings of Jesus. And I love that it's in the middle of scripture. It's like the hinge point that makes everything makes sense. And so we're looking at the life and teachings of Jesus and interpreting it for our times so that we can find what does it mean for us to give away our lives? What does it mean for us to follow Jesus together? So we're in Mark chapter nine today, and we're in a challenging passage as we have been. We've had like lots of challenging passages, right? If you've been here, um, I taught on a challenging passage two weeks ago. And then last week, John you know, self-proclaimed the passage as super weird. He just kept telling us it's just a super weird passage. So we are doing that together, right? But we can enter in and we have people who've gone before us who really help us understand, okay, what do we do with challenging passages? So before we even kind of break down the passage for today, I just wanna talk for a moment about that because as you become a follower of Jesus, you begin to read the Bible for yourself, you're gonna trip over all kinds of challenging passages all through the thing. And we're sort of used to like TikTok bites kind of breaking down life for us. So when we get into some of this stuff, we're gonna to have to go to a deeper place to really understand what we do with those challenging passages, okay? So here's like three basics of Bible interpretation that can help us understand what do we do with challenging passages, okay? So the first one is this. We interpret the obscure passages with clear passages. So the first thing we do is we interpret if something is weird or confusing or obscure in scripture, we look to clear passages in scripture to help us interpret the one that's more obscure. I just pulled out a favorite right here, Psalm 137. Let's check this one out together. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction. Happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against your rocks. I mean, you guys are just trying to have some coffee in the morning? just trying to be encouraged in the Psalms. And you're like, what the what is going on here, right? 
And if you don't have some sort of method for saying, okay, how do we interpret the Bible as I'm reading it? You're like, wait a second, is this the God I serve? Is, and if you're real literal, you're like, is God telling us to throw our babies on the rocks? No, we interpret obscure passages with clear passages, okay? So here's a couple of clear passages that can help you with this one. Exodus 20, 13, you shall not murder. Okay, it was clear, like that's a 10 commandment. Okay, so we can already be like, okay, so we can just chill out a little bit when we hit an obscure passage. It doesn't have to make you go crazy about who God is. It just says, hey, there's probably more here. There's probably more to this story. There's probably more to this passage. There's probably more going on historically than I might know while I'm sipping my coffee in my morning devotion. So I can be okay with that, right? So here's another one, uh, Luke 6, 27, Jesus said, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, okay? So in the midst of this Psalm 137, which by the way, was just this lament about the oppression that people were experiencing, when we hit a verse like that, and we're like, is God like decreeing infanticide? No, we're gonna interpret an obscure passage with a clear passage, okay? Second thing you can interpret is that you interpret non-teaching by teaching, okay? So the Bible is made up of all kinds of literature. The Bible actually is more story and more poems than it is straight talk. There's this, like volume-wise, God uses stories, God uses figurative language, God uses poetry as a way to explain who he is and what this world is about. Now, we generally in the evangelical world, in our Western world that we're in, we do a lot of like teaching, right? We just do straight teaching and we're a lot up here. But really, when you read the Bible, there's a lot of imagination, there's a lot of heart, there's a lot of mystery, there's a lot of tension. And so when we come to one of those passages, that's a story or a poem or a prophecy, and we're confused about it, the first thing we wanna do is say, well, what does like an actual teaching thing say? Like when Jesus is teaching, so you hear John, we talk all the time about the Sermon on the Mount, that's in Matthew 5, 6 and 7, that's Jesus' clear teaching. Like he's saying things like I just showed you, love your enemies. So when I'm reading something that's non-teaching, I'm gonna interpret it through the teaching, right? That can help me sometimes align when there seems to be a gap between what I'm reading. And then finally, third kind of principle before we get into today is to interpret it all through the cross. We really have gone down this road, right, the last couple weeks. Two weeks ago, I talked about the way of the cross. What does this mean that all of what we understand about following Jesus, all that we understand about the Old Testament, the New Testament, about who God is, is interpreted through the cross. So whenever we read a passage, whenever we think, ooh, God seems violent or God seems harsh or this is condemning or how did this sound, we always wanna go back to what we know to be the foundational truth of our faith, which is that Jesus laid down his life for us. We know in 1 John 3:16, this is how we know what love is. Christ Jesus laid down his life for us. So when we're reading a passage, particularly if it's a tough one, we kind of want to have this in the back of our mind. Like, well, wait a second. This is how we know what love is. Christ Jesus laid down his life for us. So when I hear hard teachings of Jesus, when I hear something that might sound really strong, I want to interpret it knowing that it's coming from a place of love, right? And when we read something in a vacuum, we don't know what the tone with which it was said, it can sound so different, right? So like, that's like, let's drive over grandma. You know, that whole like, let's drive over to grandma's or let's drive over grandma. You know, you, you've gotta know the phrase, the way that it's being said so that you can understand the tone with which it's said. So wherever we are in scripture, we always wanna return to these things that we know to be true. First John 3, 16, this is what we know what love is. And then Galatians, 220, which is truly like what we sang in this refining song. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And whenever we come into these passages, even as we continue to do in the following weeks, we want to say this is, this is the crux of it, truly the cross, the way of the cross is that Jesus loved us so much that he sacrificed for us, that he shows us a way to live, and it's from a place of love. And that becomes the way that we can then enter into sometimes what can feel like more difficult passages. 
So let's break down the passage that we have in front of us today. For a little bit of context, we've got this kind of um, set of loose teachings that are happening from Jesus right now, okay? So if you were with us last week, we, we just experienced the transfiguration, big word. That means that Jesus took three of his disciples up a mountain. We have all of these like, sort of like key moments that are connecting us to the Old Testament, that are connecting us to this big story of what God is doing in the world. And Jesus takes his disciples up. Jesus is actually transfigured into his true glory. So not only were they seeing the power and the authority of Jesus, but they were actually seeing his divinity, that Jesus is God. Jesus isn't just pointing to God. Jesus isn't just a great teacher about God. Jesus isn't just giving us miracles like God. He is God. And so they've just had this big, glorious moment with Jesus, and they come down the mountain, and they immediately get smacked back down into ordinary life. Anybody ever experienced that? You're like, I am, or you're here and you're praising, you're like, I wanna be refined by fire. And then on the way home, you are so irritated by your children, you're like, never mind. I do not actually wanna be refined, you know? You just, you calm down off, or you've been to a retreat, anyone been to a retreat? You're like, I love you, Jesus. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna become a missionary to the world, I'm gonna sell all my possessions. And then you're like, oh, did you see this Instagram ad? I love this blow dryer. Like you just, it's not, it's just not as easy, right? And that's exactly, this is what I love about the gospels, is we see human life happening. It's not like they saw Jesus transfigured in his glory and like everyone stopped sinning and everything was amazing. It was like, no, they came down right away. They're like quarreling and they don't know what's happening and they can't drive this demon out. And all of this ordinary life is happening. And we too are people who have these moments where we experience God and then we have to go right back to ordinary life. And that's exactly how this plays out. And so Jesus hears them. The disciples are now arguing. Keep in mind, they just saw the transfiguration. They come down. They are arguing among themselves about who is the greatest of them. And Jesus hears this, and he begins this kind of loosely connected teachings around what is really great. And so when we enter into this passage, that's the context, is Jesus is like, I'm going to tell you what's really great. You know, do you want to know what's really great? Speaking of what's really great, and that's when he says, you'll serve. You won't be, those who will be last will actually be first, speaking of what's really great. He says, speaking of what's really great, if you just welcome anyone in my name, that's, that's great. Speaking of what's really great, if you, just, if you just give somebody a cup of cold water in my name, you receive it, those people are with me. Speaking of what's really great, if they're not against us, then they're for us. So Jesus really starts to expand and say, hey, let's talk about what's really great. And into that, we look into this passage. Mark chapter 9, if you want to follow along, this is verses 42 through 50. So Jesus, speaking of what's really great, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands and go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if you're, he's still going guys. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves. That means be in peace, be in fellowship and be at peace with each other. Okay. Strong words, right? Strong words for a crucial principle that Jesus wants us to receive. Let's look at what those three principles are. Here's the first one. A crucial principle that Jesus wants his disciples to receive. He's like, hey, hey, let me tell you what's really great. And the first one is not causing others to stumble. So when Jesus in the context says, it would be better for you to have a millstone, that's like a big stone. It's got a big stone on it and then a little stone on it and you grind grain with it. And it wouldn't be just like a little one, like the mortar, 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 
and pestle that you would have um, in your house. It would be like a big commercial one, right? And he's basically like, hey, it would be better for you to have that around your neck and be drowned that way than it would be to cause somebody to stumble in their faith. Said another way, it would be better to put a KitchenAid mixer around your neck and drown in the James River than to make someone stumble, right? So that's, that's all that's happening right here. Jesus is just using an analogy that makes sense to them in that day, right? So he's doing, he's saying, hey, I'm gonna tell you something really strong right now. You wanna know what's great? What's great is when you have eyes to see that the way that you live out your faith with others, those little ones, some say little ones, he, Jesus has just been holding children. So earlier he says, let the little ones come to me. So there's a literal piece of like little ones, like children. There's also a figurative piece when he says, yeah, those who believe in me. So he's not talking about just kids. He's just talking about little ones in the faith. That those people to your right and to your left, all of us as little ones in the faith. And he says it would be better to drown than to cause someone to stumble. It doesn't necessarily mean for them to sin, although that's part of it, but it means it would be better for you to drown than to draw someone away from their own faith. Now here's the context that's just happened right before this. And oh, is this so human, this is so human. The disciples are walking and they see a guy they don't know and he's driving out demons in Jesus' name. And by the way, he was successful and they just weren't successful right before that. And one of them goes to Jesus, hey Jesus, should we tell this guy to stop? He's driving out demons in your name and he's not one of us. That's the context for Jesus saying, hey, it would be better for you to drown in the James River with a KitchenAid mixer around your neck than cause one of these little ones to stumble. Like this guy that you don't know and this is just, just it's, it's so human, it's just the temptation to be like, well, are they, really, are they really good though? Like, are they really doing the right thing? Is that church really preaching the gospel? Are they, do they really, are they really biblical about those issues? And that is what Jesus has strong words for. He doesn't have strong words for that other stuff. He's actually saying, hey, listen, if they're not against us, then they're for us. If, they, if good things are happening in Jesus's name, then they're for us. And that is actually like a principle for all of us. He's like, don't disparage people who are moving in my name. Don't look at people with eyes of judgment to determine where they stand. But here's the thing, guys, this is a tension. So as I'm saying this, there is tension within this passage. I mean, so much tension that there's another time so in this, in this time, Jesus says, hey, if they're not against us, they're for us. If they're driving out demons in my name, then they're for us. But listen to this. In Matthew chapter seven, Jesus said this. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and perform miracles in your name? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. So do you see that tension? Jesus is teaching on the one hand to his disciples, hey, if you cause anyone to stumble, anyone in my name who's, who's doing something in my name, they're for me. But then there's another time where Jesus says, there's gonna be some of you who come to the door and say, hey, hey, I, I, I perform miracles in your name, I drew, I, you know, exercise demons in your name, I prophesied in your name, and I'm gonna say I don't know you. And the difference, and by the way, John and I didn't plan this, the difference is a posture. In the Matthew passage, Jesus is saying, hey, if you're not interested in doing the will of my Father in heaven, if you're not interested in posturing yourself as a learner, if you're not interested in being in this because of the heart of what it means, then I'm not gonna know you. Meanwhile, in our passage today, the disciples are like, hey, 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 he, he's not doing it right. He's not one of us. He hasn't followed all the rules. And Jesus is like, no, 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 he is right. If you're over here saying, hey, hey, I've done the right thing, I've, I'm following all the rules, that's not the posture that I'm looking for. That's not the posture of heart that says, you know what, no matter the issue, no matter the policy, no matter the denomination, no matter if they're like, you like them or not, Jesus is saying, hey, if you're causing someone to stumble, I have reserved very strong language for how I feel about that. He uses this analogy not to say that we're gonna lose our salvation. He's not saying that like it's, it's all gonna fall apart. He's basically using the strongest language to make sure we understand what great really is. Because his disciples were confused about what great really was. 
If they aren't against us, they're for us. So how do we know the difference? If there's a one passage where Jesus says, hey, if they're not against us, they're for us. If they're working in my name, it's fine. Don't worry about it. And this other passage where Jesus says, there's gonna be people who do this in my name, and I'm gonna say, I don't know them. Well, here's the difference. And we've talked about this before, and we will continue to. Jesus very clearly says, you will know them by their fruit. You will know my real followers by their fruit. And what is that fruit? We talk about from Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Hey, guess what? The people that you listen to on Instagram, you don't know the fruit of their life if you don't know them personally. The experts that are out there, you don't, you don't know the fruit of their life. This is why we so deeply believe in the local church, because we got to like live into the fruit of the Christian life. Like, so we know who is really following, like who do, who's following. And on the one hand, if we're just trying to figure that out, we're just like the disciples. So we're like, no, no, they're not, they're not following the right way. But on the other hand, we have to be discerning. And Jesus says, the way that you can be discerning is that you'll know by the fruit of their lives. And the fruit of their lives means we gotta do life together. Like, we gotta be together with real life humans, like three, 3D, like all of us together, not just what we see on our screen. And that's how we'll know how to be discerning. So first principle, not causing others to stumble. Second principle, not causing yourself to stumble. Jesus reserves a lot of words for what it means to cause yourself to stumble. And as he uses these analogies about, hey, if your right hand causes you to sin, just cut it off. It'd be better if you did that. He's using the punishment of the day. So he's speaking in language that they would understand because at the time, if you stole and you were caught stealing, there was this sort of like justice system where it was like, well, we'll cut off your hand. If you're gonna look lustfully at someone or commit some sort of sin with your eyes and you're, just, you're gonna lose an eye. So again, Jesus is talking about things that they would understand. He's saying it the way they would understand. It's like me saying to you, if your computer causes you to sin, you need to throw it in the garbage can. It's better to go through life without a computer than to be in hell because of your computer. Do you know what I'm saying? If your phone causes you to sin, throw your phone away. Get a flip phone. It's better for you to have a flip phone than to have a smartphone that causes you to sin. This is the way that Jesus is speaking. He's not actually talking about literally cutting off your hand. He's trying to make you feel a little bit like, oh, really? Like, whoa. You know, like, oh, is that true? If, you're, if, your, friend, if your girlfriend's causing you to stumble and you guys aren't moving toward marriage and you're not living a faithful life and you're not putting Christ in the middle, break up with your girlfriend. Like, that's what he's saying. It's arresting in the cultural time that it was in. And it should be arresting to us today that, that Jesus is like taking it pretty seriously what it looks like to stumble. Now, does that mean we condemn one another? No. Does it mean you're losing your salvation? Absolutely not. But Jesus like takes us pretty, he takes our lives pretty seriously. And he's saying, hey, if you wanna know what great is, I'm gonna help you know what great really is. So I love this, this picture I wanted to bring you guys um, from Camelback. I know that uh, John and Lacey were there recently too. So I, I hiked up this Camelback is in Arizona. I hiked it up and I, I just thought of this picture because the whole hike is just stumbling blocks, the whole thing. Like you can make it up the mountain, but it was such a hike where it's just boulders in your way the whole time. And it just, it takes attention and you got to focus because it's not a straight path. There is a path, but on that path, are stumbling blocks like this. And I think some of us just think that we're strong enough to somehow make the stumbling blocks go away. I can just like live my life the way I want and there's not stumbling blocks. I'm like, guys, this is what all of our journey looks like. We're all on a journey. We're all walking together in Christ and every single one of us has stumbling blocks in our way. To admit that something makes you stumble is not weak, it's actually strong. To be able to say, you know what? I don't do that. I don't have that in my house. I, uh, no, actually, I don't watch that Netflix show. It just like, doesn't do good stuff in my heart. You know, that's not, that's not weak. That's strong. You know, when my kids were little, I was actually watching my friend's kid this last, you, you might have seen it on my Instagram. I was watching a 15-month-old. This week, I forgot. I forgot. Y'all. If you don't have a 15-month-old, you better get back in, ho in that kid's zone and like start volunteering with some kids or spend a little time with some kids because they're amazing, but they're exhausting. They're so hard. And a 15-month-old doesn't know 
what no means, and they just want to kill themselves at all times. And so the only, truly, truly, I mean, this child, I love it, so cute, threw himself down a slide, just threw himself down the slide, just hit his sneakers, just head straight down. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the toddler slide. I can't, I can't look away for one second. And that, sometimes I think God's looking at us like that. He's like, hey guys, hey little ones, you can't do that. Don't, don't throw yourself down that slide. It's not gonna turn out well. And and what works with a toddler is distraction. The best kind of discipline with a toddler is proactive discipline. You just remove the stuff that they can kill themselves with. And and I think that's basically the principle that Jesus is teaching us here. He's like, hey, if that thing's causing you to stumble, don't leave the stumbling block in your house. Get it out of your house. Like if that thing's causing you to sin, get it out. Don't try to do the discipline of like, let me just be around a lot of temptations. It's like, just remove those temptations. You know, we don't do it perfectly, but we try to say, and we keep always returning to it, we're like, hey, no phones in rooms, you know? No boyfriends, no girlfriends upstairs. Why? Is it because we don't trust anyone? Yes. But also, <laughs> but also, it's because why would we create environments that are, create, that are difficult to manage? Like, let's not create those environments. And guess what? As grown-ups, we might need to do a little bit of that work ourselves. Like we made it be me to be looking inside and saying, okay, wait a second. Let me think about what I consume, what's coming in, because Jesus says what comes out of my heart, the fruit of my life, and I may need to make some connections between like, hey, is this thing helping me bear good fruit? Is this thing leading to more anxiousness or more peace? Is this thing leading to more divisiveness or more strength? We may need to ask ourselves those questions, and you know what? What's right for me might not be right for you. What's wrong for you might be okay with me. That's kind of this principle. But if it's wrong for you, it's wrong for me when I'm with you. That's what it means to not cause others to stumble. If it's, if it's good for you and you need it, it's good for me when I'm with you because I'm not here to cause other people to stumble. Can you imagine? I think there's a few arguments, I won't name which ones, might go away. If we as followers of Jesus said, it doesn't actually matter how I feel about that. What matters is how you feel about it right now and I'm gonna do what's gonna help you. And I'm just gonna live out that principle now. Is there attention to that? Absolutely, absolutely that's attention. But it's attention that God is inviting us to be in. I just put together some stumbling blocks for you just to sort of see if I can make the whole room uncomfortable. So some stumbling blocks you might wanna consider. Status might be a stumbling block for you. You might need to seek out some different relationships to balance that out. Socials, cut them off. Sex, don't look, don't watch it. Substances, don't keep them in your house. Scandal, do you know how many of us are really tempted by scandal? Just love a scandal. Just don't, just, un, just mute it. Mute it, turn it off, don't do it. I know they call it a documentary, sometimes it's not, it's just salacious slander, okay? Here's a few verses to help you. And why did I pick the ones that I did? Because there's a certain way that they're written about in scripture. You can just write down the reference you need if you need one. 1 Corinthians 6 18, flee from sexual immorality. It doesn't say like, hey, dance around it, stay close. Like it'll probably work out fine. No, flee. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. That's a whole different sermon series. This is a very interesting passage to consider as we understand neurologically what happens when we're exposed to porn, to sex, to images, what happens in your mind that God would say, hey, this is a special kind of sin. You gotta flee from that. 1 Corinthians 10, 14, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. If it's become the most important thing in your life, it's the best thing in your life, get away from it. If it's not Jesus, you want to run. 1 Timothy 6, but you, man of God, flee from all of this. You can go read what all of this is. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. 2 Timothy 2, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. These are strong words because what Jesus says is great is Galatians 5. It is for freedom that you have been set free, so do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. How do we know if something is enslaving to you? Ask yourself what kind of fruit it brings into your life. Try to pay attention and say, what kind of fruit does this bring into my life? I learned the hard way with the 15-month-old that like what they say about sugar is true and I had forgotten.
So I needed to pay attention and be like, maybe we won't do that tomorrow. You know, like you got to make those connections. Is this enslaving to me? Does this feel like an obsession for me that I've got to keep doing it? If so, what God's actually saying, is you've got to flee that stuff. Finally, preserving and purifying. And this is really where we started today. And I'm going to give you a couple applications as we get ready to go. The very end of this passage from Mark chapter 9, it talks about this idea of being salt. It talks about being salted with fire, which is a, a mysterious phrase. I, don't, I can't just exactly tell you what it means. But here's a, here's a couple of thoughts using biblical interpretation. Salt and fire, as John said, those were used in sacrifice. And it seems like Jesus, in the midst of saying, his disciples are like, hey, is this guy following us? What about these little ones? What about this? What does it really mean to be great? Jesus is like, hey, by the way, everyone's going to go through hard times. So if this guy's having a moment because he drove out a demon in my name, he's a little one in the faith, he's experiencing something good, don't worry, everyone's going to go through suffering. We're all going to be refined by fire in one way or another. We'll all face suffering. So what would it look like to be someone who has eyes to see someone else's suffering and to say, what does Jesus tell me is great? To not be a stumbling block to them and to not be a stumbling block to myself. If you could think and hear one thing today, this is what I want you to hear. Following Jesus is a team sport. And what I, I don't mean by that, although we talk about this a lot, like, so you gotta get into community, get into a small group. Yes, do all that. Discipleship is amazing. Signups are open right now. Yes, get into community. But what I mean by that, following Jesus as a team sport means that you have a position to play and the way that you're playing it is impacting other people around you. Like, that's what it means. We're all in it. And if you're not doing your part, and if you're not looking out for others, the way you're living is impacting people playing other positions. And, and so we gotta be people who have eyes for our team, not just for ourselves. So last night, Dave and I were out um, for dinner and he had told me about a, a little moment he saw in the Little League World Series yesterday. And so I asked him to show it to me when we got home because I thought it'd be a good preaching analogy. And so he's like trying to set up context. And he's like, he just struck the guy out and now it's a foul. I'm like, I don't care about any of that. Can we get to the moment? He's like, yeah, I feel like you need the context. I'm like, great, okay, he struck him out. So he's a pitcher, he's 12 years old and he's, he's starting to lose it. He's just like mentally breaking down. I mean, can you imagine the pressure of the Little League World Series and you're 12 years old? Like, I just was like, oh, look at him. And you can see, he's trying to shake it off and he's just like really uncomfortable. The umpire like calls a little bit of time for him and his first baseman runs over to him. And he's like a big, he's a big boy. He's a man child, like a big 12 year old. And he hugs this pitcher. And you just, you don't know what they're saying, but you see him, he gives him a big hug then he holds his shoulders, he's talking to him. He gives him another side hug, holds his shoulders again. He, then you gotta give him one more hug, one more hug before he goes back to first base. And I'm like, what if we live like that? Yeah. And we were like, hey, following Jesus is a team sport. When you're, when you're struggling, when you're stumbling, I'm gonna run over. And I'm not running over with condemnation. I'm, I'm actually like, come on, get in here, give me a hug. I'm gonna remind you of who you are. I'm gonna remind you of what we're here to do. I'm gonna remind you about what really matters. I'm gonna be here with you. And it's, I'm not gonna make it about these other issues because Jesus didn't make it about these other issues. Jesus said, this is what it actually means to be great. And to be great means that I am playing a team sport. And the way I play my position matters, the way you play your position matters, and I'm here to help you take this walk with me. We are gonna walk together in Christ. And it's not gonna be easy but we're gonna to get to the end and we're gonna be like, aren't you glad we stayed faithful? Aren't you glad that we made sure we knew what really mattered? Aren't you glad that we listened to what Jesus said about what great really is? That just like we talked about two weeks ago, we denied ourselves, we took up our cross, we followed him and it was worth it because we just can't even imagine how good it's gonna be when we finish this part of the journey together. I'm gonna invite the worship team up and we're gonna close with a moment to think. So my question is, if following Jesus is a team sport, what kind of player are you? Are you strong enough to admit your weaknesses? Is there a part of you that feels like, wow, this is an impossible teaching? You know, that's what the disciples often said to Jesus. They're like, wow, this is an impossible teaching. Who can do this? But you know, right before this passage, 
the guy with the demon, there's all that going on. And there's this moment where it says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And I think that's like one of the most human things that we can pray. It's like, Lord, I believe and want this, but I, I can't do any of it without the grace of Jesus Christ. Like, you're not gonna do this on your own. You're not gonna be able to fix this on your own. You're not gonna not stumble on your own. You're gonna do it because we say yes to Jesus. We say yes to his grace. And we say, God, yeah, I'm not gonna be able to not cause you to stumble. I'm not gonna be able to not stumble myself. But it's because of the grace of Jesus Christ that I can keep being purified and keep being refined and be on that journey with others and see what we're doing as a team sport that we get to play together. So let's take a minute. What kind of player are you? Perhaps you wanna ask that question, are you strong enough to admit your weaknesses? What might you wanna to bring to God in this little moment? And we'll pray together in just a minute. Thanks so much for watching with us this morning. Are you looking to build resilience in your faith? Well, you should be. Signups for our discipleship program are open and you can learn more about it on our website. We promise you'll have fun learning with others in the Hill City community. See you next week.